I want to see if we can play along. You guys have done this before, any of you guys that have played sports of any kind. Uh, when I say God is good, I want you to say all the time. And when I say all the time, I want you to say God is good. Are we, we good? All right. God is good? And all the time. Have you ever doubted that? I mean, seriously, have you ever doubted that phrase? I mean, sure, we can say it in church and we can have that moment where we're, where we're saying it all the time, you know, back and forth. And how are you doing, brother? Oh, God is good, brother. God is good, sister. You know, we can do that and that's possible and we have those moments, right? But let's just be, can we be honest for just a second? Have, have you ever doubted that? I know that I have, particularly in my deployments to Afghanistan and to Africa, and then when I went on a missions trip to Guatemala. I would struggle with this. We're in a series, we're starting a series that actually you guys helped me write. It was a series that we put the Google form up on the app, and we had so many questions where I said, look, just ask your questions, and I'll compile them together into a succinct list, and then we'll go through and we'll march through some of these questions. So over the next five weeks, so this week and all the Sundays in July, we're going to answer the top five questions, because I got 24 different responses, which is awesome, but I cannot do 25 (laughs) questions all all the way through there. Uh, because some of the questions, there's, it's, it's not a, I can't get a whole sermon out of it. So those questions, and you need to pay attention, those questions I'm still going to answer. I'm just not going to do it here on Sunday. I'm going to do it on social media. So you guys are familiar with the platform TikTok. Some of you are like Chinese spyware, probably. But Instagram and Facebook Reels, the vertical videos, I'm going to do some of the responses to some of those questions in those videos. So if you're not following the church page, follow the church page. If you're not, if you want to know your question, follow me in the church page. We're going to put those up there throughout the next five weeks. So your question will probably be answered. That link for That's a Good Question is still open. So if you didn't get your question in, you can find that link and you can go back and ask your question. Be like, oh man, I forgot to ask this. Dagnabbit. Okay. Because I know you don't use other words. So you can just throw that out there and, and I will answer it at the best of my ability. But the number one question that I received, the number one question that I received or the theme, because I had to group it all together because everybody asked questions different ways, was this question right here. Why do bad things happen? I mean, come on, Brandon. If God is good, and we all just said that, and all the time God is good, why do bad things happen? happen? And that's a good question. That's a very good question. Again, I've struggled with that question. And if you're anything like me, you've run into it. Again, when I, when I went on my deployments and went on the missions trip, I saw firsthand suffering in the world. I saw firsthand the result of evil and suffering in the world. And I thought, God, why would you allow this to happen? Lord, why would you sit back and it seems like not answer those prayers, but then answer my prayers? Or why, why on earth is it that these kids are going through some of these horrible things? And for some of you, you've been involved in the missions field, or you've gone to places like that, or you have friends that have experienced things like that, and you sit back and you go, yeah, you know what? Why do bad things happen? That doesn't make any sense to me. To make it a little bit more personal, you've probably asked questions like, Lord, mom has done everything right. Why did she get sick? I mean, Lord, dad was a good man. He did it all right. He raised us in church. 
He gave the 10%. He taught me about Jesus. He volunteered at the church. He helped build the thing. I mean, it doesn't seem right that he died from heart disease. Lord, I'm a good, I'm a good person. Why is my son and daughter drifting away? We, I think we're, if we're honest, we've all wrestled with questions like that before. We wonder, God, are you there? Maybe it's the first question. And then the second one followed swiftly behind it is, are you even paying attention? These questions and these ideas and these thoughts have plagued humanity since the beginning. These questions have come up time and time again in one uh, form or another. The Greek philosopher Epicurus, he drew these conclusions about God. He said that if God is not able to prevent evil, then he's not all-powerful. That if God's not able to prevent evil, then he's not all-powerful. And if God is not willing to prevent evil, he continues, then he's not all-good. And then he takes it a step further. If God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? Those are questions that we wrestle with all the time. God, why do bad things happen? And then Epicurus came to the this, or came to the same conclusion that maybe some of you have come to. He's come to the conclusion that God does not exist. He's not real. Or if he is, God does not care. Maybe some of you have come to that same conclusion today. Maybe you're here and you've given God one last chance. You're about, you got the door half closed on faith and you're about to move on to the next thing and you don't care what it is, but you just know it's not serving a God that don't care or ain't around, right? So you, you're close to closing that door or maybe you already have. And before you do that, I want to stop for just a second. Before you do that, I want, to, I want you to give me just a few minutes, a few minutes to show that you may be making a misinformed decision. Because this idea of bad things don't happen, that's not a Christian idea. For some reason, it, it kind of gets attributed because we talk about the goodness of God so much. And He is a good God. But we seem to replace that with the idea that we should never experience pain and suffering in the world. And again, that's just simply not a Christian idea. I'm going to make the argument today that following Jesus gives reason for is reason for and hope for the evil and suffering in the world. I'm going to make that argument today, that following Jesus gives us the ability and the understanding of that, makes sense of, gives meaning to, and offers a solution for the evil and suffering in the world. So the question we have today is we put it on the screen. I want you to read it with me. The question we're answering is why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? In order to answer this question, we need to go back to the very start of everything. We need to go back to the very start of everything, and we find the answer in the creation story. Some of you go, that doesn't make any sense. Why would we find the answer in the creation story? Well, because it's kind of where Jesus pointed us back to. We're going to, make, we're going to take a journey there today. So today, 
I want you to put your thinking caps on. Everybody good with that? Can we put our thinking caps on? I know it's the weekend. I know you guys probably had lots of fun with fireworks last night. You know, I'm sure it was very exciting. But if we can just for a second put our thinking caps on and try to remember some of these things, it will probably help us in the future. So in your seat backs are pens and a note card. So if you want to take notes, and I encourage you to take notes, this will help you. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know the beginning of this story. Day one, now as we get started here, let me just go ahead and chatter. Okay, if you are a devout seven-day creationist, just take a deep breath for a second, okay? I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not here to argue with you, okay? But there are some different veins that believe that this is literally 100% true. It happened in a day exactly the way it did. And then there's another vein of thought that is that it happened over a period of time and the language is more poetic than it is literal, it do, just, can, can we be honest? It really doesn't matter. In the beginning, God did what? Created. Okay? So I just want to give you some freedom. You take whatever avenue you want. I don't care. I really don't. As long as you get to in the beginning, God created. That's all that matters. Okay? Because none of us can really understand because people make the argument, well, was a day 24 hours? I don't know. He's God. He can use whatever timeline he wants. Pastor is 24 hours a day? I don't know. I don't know. There was no sun or moon or stars then. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he set a clock and started a timer and said, okay, and we're creating. Or maybe he didn't. I don't know. I don't know. But my point is, is it's almost, it's actually not almost, it's essentially inconsequential the way that it happened. <clears throat> What's important is that it happened. So, as you're with me, say I'm, say I'm here. You with me? Okay, good. We're here. Nobody's faith is like nobody got up and walked out. Like, I can't do this anymore. Pastor's messing with me. The creation story. In day one, God created and separated the light from the darkness. In day two, he, created the, he separated the oceans and the sky and created the oceans and the sky. Day three, he created land and vegetation. Day four, he created the sun and the moon. Day five, he created sea creatures and the birds. And day six, he created land animals and mankind. And then, on day, and then this is how the author of Genesis ends this account. Chapter one ends this way with God looking at everything he had done. The text tells us that God saw all that he had made, and it was, can somebody help me read that, those two words? Very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So I say all that to say, in the beginning, God created, and it was very good. It was all very good. And it's in this environment, this paradise, this, the, that God gives humanity dominion over his creation. He says, look, you go forth and na- you know, name the animals. You know, I don't care. Just tend the, tend the garden. Look, this is yours. We're going to sit here and do this thing together. But I have, I have one rule, God would say. I have one rule, one real simple rule. It's not crazy. It's not very hard. I just have one thing that I need you to not do. Okay, just, just one thing I need you to not do. Now, before we begin, and before you become too judgmental of God, you have done this same thing. You have had one rule for your children, have you not? Everybody's got parents. Everybody's got kids. Go ahead, raise your Yep. 
You've done that. You have made rules for your kids. You have made rules for your kids. Let's just be honest. You don't make rules for your children just so your children will follow the rules, do you? I mean, certainly you don't go, you know what, honey? You know what would be a really good rule? No, 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 uh, no Coke anymore. They don't get any more Coke. They don't get, they don't get any more Coca-Cola. Well, why would you make that rule? I don't know. It just seems like a good rule. Let's just make the rule. You don't just make rules. The rules always have a purpose, do they not? And every time, every time that you make a rule, you are making the rule with the best interest of your child at heart. You're making the rule. In fact, you've probably even told them before, look, you're not going to like it right now, but I'm doing this for your own good, right? You've done it before. You've looked at them. You've looked right at them. And some of you that are kids and you don't have kids yet, you think about your parents and you're like, yeah, dad would sit me down and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? (laughs) To say I haven't used that line is also not true, but you know what I'm talking about. But when you set rules, you set rules to protect the child and to protect the family, right? So before we get too judgmental of God and sit back and go, how dare he? Well, let's just think for a second. If God is a good, good father, which we believe that, then would he not set in rules to protect the children and the family? Isn't that something that a good father does? The one rule God gave them, if we find in Genesis 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, notice what God did not say. If you eat of it, I'm going to kill you. It's not what he said. In the Hebrew, it doesn't read that way either. It reads as a cause and an effect. That if you do this, this happens. The same way that you have rules for your children, that you warn them, do not touch the oven because you will get burnt, right? I mean, we've all had that conversation with our child at some point. In fact, I had that conversation with, or Leah had that conversation with my eight-year-old. And guess what he did not do? Pay attention, touch the stove when he was cooking mac and cheese, and burn his little arm. Because he didn't pay attention. I didn't set that rule because I'm a bad father. We didn't teach him that and tell him that because we hate him. We don't love him. We don't care for him. We set that as a protection and warned him, hey, if you do this, this is going to be the result. God says the same thing. If you eat from that tree, if you eat from that tree, you will certainly die. God was very clear with the rules and the expectations. And I feel like he was very, very clear. Because in the beginning, in the garden, death did not reign the way that it does now. There was none of that. That was not part of God's creation. That's not how he wanted things to function. And he warned humanity, don't do this one thing. If you do this one thing, things will get bad. And humanity decided we knew best. Adam and Eve decided that they knew best. Adam and Eve were deceived. And the sin of pride and hubris took over. And they figured we could be like God. And just as the Lord said, when Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord, 
sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, everything associated with death came along with it. Disease, destruction, evil, suffering, it all came in at the same time that sin entered the world. Now, again, if you've walked this Christian faith with the idea that Christians don't have any pain or suffering, I can introduce you to a few that have some really big faith that have, because that's not a Christian idea. In fact, the fundamental Christian idea is facing this brutal fact, okay? This is a brutal fact that's not exciting and we don't like to talk about very, very often, but it's the idea that sin broke the creation. Ladies and gentlemen, there is pain and suffering and evil and evil exists because of sin, and sin broke the creation. Now, it's easy. This is global sin, because many of us sit back and go, okay, I like one-for-ones. Okay, I do. This is how I work. My brain works very logically in, in sometimes, where it's like, I want to see how one plus one equals two. I sinned. This happened. Here's the result. And for me, there's times that I would, especially when I was young in the faith, where I would sit back and something bad would happen, and I would go, where did I mess up, Lord? I mean, I send somewhere for, for you to do this to me, except that's not a biblical idea either. I mean, there's times at which sin, well, every time sin has consequences, that's true. And every time sin has consequences, and sometimes God delivers you from your consequences, sometimes God delivers you, he, he delivers you through your consequences of sin. That happens, that's true. But what we need to realize is that it's not a one-for-one one all the time. If you go out and you get hammered tonight and you drive drunk and you get pulled over by the police and you get taken to jail and you get booked and you have a crazy fine, that was your sin causing your problems. Don't go to, the, don't go to God and say, how dare you? How dare you? And he's like, look, I said don't give yourself unto drunkenness, and you got behind the wheel, so like, sorry, bro. And, and, but sometimes that's what we do, isn't it? There's sometimes our own sin. But listen, not all, it doesn't happen all the time like that. Suffering does not always happen as a direct result of a sin that you, that you made. That's not the way it happens. In fact, there's a story in the New Testament where the disciples are with Jesus and a, and a blind man comes up. And the blind man comes up and the disciples ask him, they go, Lord, which one sinned, his mother or his father? Now, this is the moment. This is the moment where Jesus can easily draw the connection between the two. Okay, there's a direct action and a direct consequence. So Jesus could easily draw the connection between the two. And he doesn't. He says, neither. Neither one sinned. To say, essentially, that sin, global sin entered and broke the creation. It entered and broke the creation. And again, with sin came all of the bad stuff we experience. The pain, the suffering, the evil, all of it. Paul explains it this way. When he's, read, when he's teaching the church in Rome, as he's writing to the church in Rome, he says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. There it is. 
on the heels and on the back of sin, disobedience of God, death entered the creation. And this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And now some of us go, hold on, I wasn't there in the garden, and that's not fair. That's not fair. But here's the truth. All of us have done something bad before. All of us have. If you have children, you understand there's, you didn't have to teach your kids to lie, did you? You did not have to teach your kids to hit each other. My four-year-old, Zeke, he is, um, he's never been to daycare. He has, uh, outside of being uh, taught by the teachers here in the church or when I go to the gym, that's the only time he ever really goes to a formal daycare setting. And somewhere along the way, he learned that the best way to handle things when, he, when his brothers take his toy is to hit them. I, I tell you right now, Leah has never hit me for taking her toy. <laughs> Not one time. I have never hit her for taking, my to- for taking any of my toys. When the boys come down and mess with my office stuff, I don't hit them, right? I don't do that. I've <laughs> never done that. And still, that's his response. Because again, there's a piece of us, and this is uncomfortable for so many of us, there's a piece of us that chooses sin over God. And it's a part of us that the apostle keeps talking about that we have to grab hold of and wrestle and put to death. It's part of who we are that we have to resist. Because right now, let me ask you a question. If, if you could get away with anything, what would it be? And every one of you just had something very bad pop in your mind. <laughs> Ain't none of y'all was like, I'm nothing. I'm good. All of y'all, as soon as I said that, you're like, man, if it was legal, (laughs) sign me up. My case in point, that all have sinned, and he continues, and fallen short of the glory of God. Because the brutal fact that we have to face, the brutal fact as Jesus followers that we have to face to make sense of all of this as best as we can, is that in the beginning, sin entered and broke the creation. The apostle continues to, to, he doesn't leave us there with just this really unsavory like, oh gosh, we've all sinned, it sucks, there's no way we can move forward. He doesn't leave us there. A few verses later, he says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. He says, just as through the disobedience of one man that many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man that the many will be made righteous. He's talking about Jesus. Because this idea that bad things don't happen in the world or bad things don't happen to good people, that's, again, not a Christian idea. It's not a Christian worldview. Because if you think about our faith, we actually believe that the best possible person suffered the worst possible death. That's what we believe. We believe that that the best possible person suffered immensely, suffered terribly on our behalf. So again, it's it's not a Christian idea. And we, we fall into the trap of it because we talk about God's goodness, and He is good. But the creation for the period, this moment is still broken. 
But again, the apostle does not leave it there. He doesn't leave it there for us. He, he draws even closer to giving us hope. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have hope. I cannot answer all the questions related to why bad things happen. I cannot give you the reasons why God did things in some instances in your life and didn't do them in other instances. And let me tell you, anybody that stands up here and can say that or on any screen or on any platform and says, I know exactly why God did what he did every time. They're trying to take money from you or they want your vote. Because they don't know. I've scoured the scriptures and looked time and time again trying to figure it out. And there's just a sense where it requires faith. And the question we have to ask is Jesus followers. This is the real question. Are we going to trust in him that he's got it all under control in the end? Or, and maybe this is why some of us walked away from our faith. Are we going to resist it and say, no, I need an answer. Because as Jesus followers, there's a trust factor that's played out. The apostle gives us hope in Romans chapter 8. He said, I consider that our present sufferings. So this is not, this is, this is not one of those deals where he's, a, he's like, oh, it's okay. There's no suffering in the world. You're fine. It's not that at all. Paul addresses and acknowledges suffering in the world. And he's talking as, as he's in prison. He's he's speaking and writing this to a church in Rome that is persecuted under under the emperor Nero who would take Christians and feed them to animals in the Colosseum. Or he had his garden lit by Christian corpses. And he's writing to that church. And in the persecution that they're going through, not to mention Paul himself had been shipwrecked and stoned and beaten and persecuted by both the temple and the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing, says, look, I know it's hard. Sin has entered the world. It's broken things. You know, I can't explain why all these things happen. I just know something's off and I know Jesus is going to come back and write it. I don't know all the specifics or the timeline of it, but I know this, he says. That our present sufferings are not worth, somebody read that next word, comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You have hope. If you're a follower of Christ, you have hope. What you're going through right now pales in comparison to what the future holds for you. And God's plan for the future. Brandon, what's the timeline for that? Look, dude, I don't know. I don't know at all. I looked. All the timelines in the Bible aren't associated with this at all. And even when people ask Jesus, Jesus, when's all this stuff going to happen? I mean, come on, you're like connected to the Father. You said that. You said when you look at the, when we want to see what God's like, you said, look at me. Okay, so Jesus, when's all this going to happen? And Jesus said, you will not know the hour nor the time. Well, that's not helpful. Right? Have you ever, come on, let's be honest, let's have church. Have you all ever read the Bible and been like, that didn't help? I have. I was prepping for this message, to tell you a funny story. I was prepping for this message and I was reading and I was like, come on, God, give me something, give me some like 
bam, you know, give me some good. And I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, there's a time when Jesus addresses, you know, good and evil and stuff. And I look, and it's in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in Matthew at the end of Matthew chapter 5, in which they ask, why do bad things happen? And Jesus goes, the Lord causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. What? Okay, well, the Lord causes the, the rain to fall on the evil and the good. And you're like, I was like, look, you're, you're writing it, Lord. This, this is your people. I don't know. Right? Like that's, but sometimes that happens. And Paul says, look, given all those circumstances, given everything that we've been through, given all the times we read the Bible verses and we don't make any sense or we can't figure it out or you get the bad doctor report and you go, come on. Do you remember that? That our present sufferings are not worth comparing to our future glory that will be revealed in us. Paul continues, he says, for the creation, here's, here it is, the creation, all of it, the whole thing, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What he means by when he says the phrase children of God to be revealed, he means when Jesus returns and starts restoring things to the way they should be. He says the creation itself, he's like, you guys aren't the only one, creation, all of it is waiting in eager expectation, waiting for the king of the world to return. But the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. I love that phrase. Because when you apply it to what, we've, what we're going through and what we see in the world, it makes perfect sense. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So why do bad things happen? Because the creation is in bondage to decay. That's why. Cancer is here in this world because the world and creation is in bondage to decay. Natural disasters, war, evil happens because the creation itself is in bondage, trapped by decay. Decay brought by sin, decay brought by disobedience, that the world is in bondage to decay. Why? Because sin entered and broke the creation. And for this period of time, sin will reign. The results of sin will reign and death will reign. And again, I can't give you the timeline and I can't give you all the specifics why God acted in one instance and why he didn't in the next. In fact, this message is really almost a two-part. Next week, I'm going to answer or try my best to answer some of those questions and what to do when the suffering is still present. And we're praying, God, where are you? So I can't answer all of those questions all the time. But what I know is right now, sin and death will reign. So the question becomes, man, Brandon, that's really sad. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? I mean, right, what, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? I'm still stuck with suffering. The world is in bondage to decay. Do we just sit back idly and watch? Do we just watch as the world, for lack to use the Joker's phrase from the dark night, just watch the world burn? Is that what we do? Is that what Jesus told us to do? No, absolutely not. 
You remember these words of Jesus? He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, you got to get the cultural context of this. When he says this, in, those er- in that area of the world, a town, because there was not a lot of vegetation, if you could see the lights from a town from miles away. Miles away, because it was a lot of it was there was no vegetation, not like here where we can't see you can't even see South Point, but in that area of the world, a town on a hill that had light on it, it would be seen for miles. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. For the period of time that we are here, we should be like that. We have a limited amount of time on this earth. And in the darkness, when everything else is gone, we as the church, as followers of Christ, should be the light. Because when it's lifted up, it gives light for everyone. For everyone. But the minute we stop this, the world will decay, it will fall apart. The minute that we stop caring, the minute we stop loving, the minute we stop being there, the minute we stop being the ecclesia that Jesus called us to be, the minute that we decide to do that, it's over. It's over. Evil will reign. You guys can bring the lights back up. Evil will reign. Death will reign. And in the meantime, always the question. In the meantime, Brandon, what do we do? In the meantime, Jesus gave us our marching orders. In the meantime, we do this. We shine a light in the darkness. Do we sit back and, and, and watch idly by? Absolutely not. Christians have never done that. Do we allow injustices to stand? No. Christians have never done that. Do we allow people to still suffer in the world? No. Christians have never done that that Jesus was very clear. Notice he didn't give us a lot of answers in direct relation to some of these really difficult questions. But on our actions, he was very clear. Look, you, you may not know why necessarily good things, bad things, all that stuff happens, but here's what I want you to know. When it's bad, you do that. You don't hide it. You shine like a light in the world. That's why we've adopted this idea and mantra here to make a difference. That we we exist to inspire people to love God, have a relationship with their Heavenly Father, and understand that He loves them. We want to get them connected to Christian community inside the church. And then we go out and we make the world better. We make the world better. Because I want this city, this is, this is where I'm at. I want whether people in this community look at us and say, man, I don't know if I believe all the stuff those crazy Christians do. 
I'm so glad they're here. I want the city of Fredericksburg to look at the churches that are all over the city and go, you know what, I don't necessarily believe everything that those guys and gals do, but the world would be worse off if they weren't there. That's what it means to be salt and light. That's what it means when Jesus says that you are a light on a hill. So in the meantime, however we can, we alleviate suffering in the world. So in conclusion, the question, why do bad things happen? The world is broken. Creation is broken by sin. It's broken by sin. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we are here to make a difference. Are we going to win? Probably not. But we will in the end. Because when the king returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the king is here. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we strive, we struggle, we wrestle to make the suffering better for somebody. So the question always becomes, what does that mean for me personally, Brandon? Okay, here's, a, here's your action point. This is all I want you to do. When somebody is talking about some bad things in the world or some bad situations or some struggles you're going through, I want you to ask this question. I wonder how I can make that better. Even if it's something as small as just making it, taking a, uh, five minutes out of your day to make a phone call, how can I make that better? How can I shine light in that darkness? How can I preserve the good things in that situation? How can I make it better? It's not easy, and that's going to cause you to be selfless at times. But when the sin that cost us everything was the sin of selfishness, the way that we are relieved from it is selflessness. It started with the selflessness of Jesus. And then he passes that expectation on to us. We are the light of the world. We are a light upon a hill. So, with that, I would love to pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for this. God, we don't have all the answers to all of the questions. Lord, I don't have all the answers to all of the questions. We struggle and we wrestle back and forth sometimes, God. And it gets us to a place where we feel like we can't have faith if we don't fully understand. But we know that that's not the case. That, God, you gave us everything that we needed. That you sent the rescuer here to us. And his name is Jesus. So for those of us that are in him, for those of us who, who have accepted the call and accepted his gift, Lord, we have hope that our present sufferings are not worthy of comparison to our future glories. So Father, for anybody in the room, anybody in the room that feels like that they were about to walk away and now they're not. Or perhaps they did walk away and they're ready to return. 
Lord, will you speak to them? God, will you have your way in this place? And Lord, help us recognize that we simply need to say the prayer that we admit our need for Jesus. We believe that he is God's son and our king. And we commit our lives to him. For any of us that need to pray that prayer, Lord, would you give us the courage to do that and do business with you right where we're sitting? Would you give us the ability to do that, Lord? Father, for those of us that are members of the family currently, and we struggle with this, and it's painful, and it's hard. Lord, will, will you encourage us? Will you help us remember that these present sufferings, they pale in comparison to the future glory that you have planned for us and for the creation? And in the meantime, Lord, help us ask the question, how can I make that better while we're on this side of glory? Lord, we love you. We praise you in this place today. And it's in Jesus' name. The church said, Amen. Amen. Would you guys please stand and sing with us?